All right, with that, let's start off in a word of prayer, shall we? Hey, bronze. <laughs> we should have bronze pray. <laughs> Father, <laughs> Father, thank you so much for today, Lord, that we again get to gather together and study the truths of your word. Just ask that you would continue to be with us and guide us in our studies, guide us in those conversations. Um, let your words pour through us and, and not our own. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so I think this will be our last series or, or talk on atheism. Um, not that we're going to answer all of the atheist questions today, but I wanted to go over a couple things. So atheism has, believe it or not, truth claims uh, in it. The atheist does. So we defined it a little bit last week and the different types of atheists, but I want to do a brief review for those that are listening online or those that weren't here last week. So atheism is a faith or a worldview that denies the existence of any type of supernatural deity. And the Oxford Dictionary provides this following definition of atheism. To believe nothing of a designing principle or mind, nor any cause, measure, or rule of things, but chance, is to be a perfect atheist. So what is the problem with that definition? Well, first and foremost, the problem arises from the word atheist. Um, it's a type of truth claim being made, right? We went over that in English. Atheism claims that there is no God, and that presents a problem. Um, a philosopher, Dr. Mortimer Adler, described the difficulty like this. I'll first read his quote, and then I'll break it down in English. He says, an affirmative existential proposition can be proved, but a negative existential proposition, one that denies the existence of something, cannot be proved. So what he's talking about is if you're going to say something does not exist, that statement can't be proved. Why? Well, in order to prove it, that means you have to have all knowledge in all time of all places in order to say that that thing cannot exist. And that's a problem. It's a huge problem. See, when that, the negative existential truth claim, is put forward, the one making the claim didn't shoot himself in the foot, but actually in the head. It's completely damning to that argument. See, unless the person can be in all places of the entire universe at the same time, they have no way of confirming whether or not the truth that they stated exists. Does that make sense? Right? This is a conundrum for the atheists that they put themselves in. So, recognizing this predicament, atheists like Richard Dawkins counter such an argument by saying that while they cannot prove a flying spaghetti monster does not exist, it is highly improbable such a thing actually exists. So the wiser intellectual position is to hold is the one that says such a thing as a flying spaghetti monster does not exist. Do you guys get that? Basically, he's saying if you make this claim that something completely outlandish, like a flying spaghetti monster or screaming blue ants or pink fluffy unicorns, whatever, you, will be, you make this claim that it doesn't exist, although he recognizes you can't affirm that that thing doesn't exist, but it's such a ludicrous claim, every normal a person of average intellect can say, yeah, okay, I believe that, that it doesn't exist. So then he makes that jump from the ludicrous claims into the claim that God does not exist. However, that claim commits two errors. First, comparing God with the flying spaghetti monster commits the logical error of what's called faulty analogy. 
right? You can't make an argument based on an analogy of something. It doesn't work that way, at least the laws of logic. Second, just because something is improbable, it doesn't rule out its existence. For example, all scientists admit that humanity's very existence is absolutely inordinately improbable because of the odds associated with it. Scientific scholars acknowledge that it's against all mathematical odds that all the universe's cosmic constants and biological mechanisms necessary for life would come to be. Yet here we are. Humanity does exist. Against all probability, it shouldn't, right? So the question isn't whether or not the existence of God is improbable, but whether there are logical, reasonable evidences that moves one towards a conclusion that God does exist. Of course, atheists answer that question negatively, right? God doesn't exist. So the next move they make is to say that God probably does not exist. Believe it or not, a recent stance of this in um, a lot of different European countries, you'd see adverts on the, the buses going by that makes that claim. It says God probably does not exist. And they're advertising it on public transportation. <clears throat> this claim, however, again, this one has two flaws to it. First, it's not the way that human beings live many areas of our life considered important why this probably does not exist. How many of you are gonna eat a burger that says probably does not contain poison? <laughs> Nobody. We don't live by probabilities. How many of you are gonna get on an airplane to fly somewhere that says this will probably fly? <laughs> See, it, it, it doesn't work. Also, it ignores the fact that the seriousness of a truth claim um, dictates the amount of evidence necessary to support it. So the atheist truth claim carries with it enormous, uh, irreparable, and eternal consequences if it's wrong. That being the case, it's intellectually and morally incumbent upon the atheist to produce just huge, weighty evidence to support their position. The evidence really is on them to support their position because they're making a negative truth claim. But they don't provide anything to substantiate that assumption that God probably does not exist. So... Atheism, it simply cannot meet the test for evidence of the seriousness of the truth claim that it makes. So th this should be an interesting talking point when you come across a true atheist. Instead, using the supposed argument from silence, God probably doesn't exist, the atheist and those who are convinced of his position, um, they really <coughs> kind of slide into the grave, as it were, with fingers crossed that they're not going to face any type of unpleasant judgment or any other reality that they've constructed, right? I mean, the famous saying is someone was an atheist until they died. Then they're not, unfortunately. Right? Foxhole, yeah, foxhole salvation. So some really do recognize that this is a very serious problem in their uh, worldview, their belief. So. When pressed for evidence, and you guys have certainly come across this one, I know I have, they take a stand boiled down to, quote, science has disproven God. Anyone ever hear that statement? Or everybody knows evolution is true, or enter whatever um, variation of that here. Okay, there's several reasons to show that this claim is hugely brittle and not well thought out, um, but first... To, to figure out the rationale behind this position, a little history lesson. You guys know me on that, okay? So there's a lot of young people in here, so most of those younger people don't remember um, the events of 9-11 in 2001. 
But after that, a branch of atheism, and you guys heard me talk about it before, the militant atheist, aggressively rose up and demanded that society get rid of all religion. Why? Well, because back then we were um, blaming radical Muslims. So they just said, not that particular type, but all religions. So then they started bringing up the Spanish uh, Inquisition and then the Crusades, and right? So all religion is bad and, and it must be banned. Rather than focusing on those particular sects of extremists who use religion to justify murderous actions, they lumped everyone's faith, whether it's passive or not, and labeled it as religion as a whole dangerous. Okay. But that begs the obvious question for the militant atheists. How? How are we supposed to do that? How are you intending to get rid of all religion? Paint me a world in which that exists. I would like to see that. All religion gone. So the apparent agreement in their mind was to use science then as a bedrock to replace the need for religion. So it's nothing new. You guys remember me talking about Thomas Huxley um, last week in the 1800s. So this faith in science isn't science at all, but it's something called scientism, right? Which equals what? It's just another faith. It's just another faith-based system. So what are the problems with scientism? Okay, of course, science has discovered many great gifts uh, for humankind and hopes atheism uh, has for scientism replacing religion aren't gonna work, it's ill-founded. Yeah, walkie. Most of those scientists that have brought about amazing things are, were Christians. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Or at the very least, at least a theist, right? Like Einstein, for example. Not a Christian, but at least a theist. So, scientism is self-refuting. Um, the statement, we should only believe what can be scientific, scientifically proven, in and of itself, cannot be scientifically proven. <laughs> right? Are you guys noticing a theme here with, with the arguments with the atheists that... It just flat out doesn't work. All of their arguments end up being self-refuting when you examine them. See, it's a, that's a philosophical statement. And it's based on its own criteria, so it should be rejected. What do I mean by based on its own criteria? I can say, I'm a great guy. How do I know? Because my greatness tells me so. It's stupid, right? But that's the same line of, of thinking that we're uh, dealing with here. So... It also ignores other much respected and used methods for obtaining knowledge, like the scientific method. It ignores the legal, forensic, historical <coughs> method for discovering truth. Um, the legal method does not ignore testimony or facts because they're not empirically reproducible. By a process of elimination, the legal method allows history and testimony to speak for itself until a verdict is reached beyond a reasonable doubt and the balance of probability is achieved. Scientism has proven disastrous from a moral perspective. That's a big one. See, militant atheism asserts that if religion can be banished, then humankind will have peace and harmony. Mm. What? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, just think about that. If all faith-based systems can be banished, automatically humanity will have peace and harmony. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not wrong. You're talking about the Antichrist, but yeah, you're definitely not wrong on that one. Where is their justification? Uh, we're getting to it. Um, so th they take a look backward um, at the Enlightenment era, and but I'm like, oh, that actually says otherwise. The guillotine was created in that era. <laughs> exactly, it was. So instead of resulting in peace, the Enlightenment ushered in bloody revolution after bloody revolution after bloody revolution. 
producing the largest mass grave in history. My wife and I have been there. It's the catacombs in Paris. Ironically, one of atheism's chief heralds, Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, predicted, actually correctly, that because he and others had supposedly killed God in the 19th century, the 20th century would be the bloodiest ever. He was right, but not for that reason, right? Lastly, rather pointing away from a transcendent creator, advances in science have actually more than convinced or proven um, or confirmed the existence of a theistic deity or, or God. I'm not to bore you guys too much, but there's something called the steady state theory um, when it comes to, to cosmic evolution. And that really has, has died because the current understanding is the universe as we know it exploded out of nothing into existence. No, 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 that's not what we're seeing. See, the incredible fine-tuning of the universe for human life, the, the specified complexity like DNA, once that was discovered, that in a single strand contains digital information equivalent to 600,000 pages of intelligence, and it's mathematically identical to a language all act as uh, pointers to an intelligent designer after all. So, in truth, atheism's position on science commits the logical fallacy of what's called false dilemma. See, atheism demands that a person choose between science and God, when in no fact, uh, a division doesn't, like that doesn't have to exist. You don't have to choose between science and God. See, myself, when I was an atheist, I was falling under this uh, intellectual dilemma. I thought that I had to make a choice. As a very scientific, you know, left-brained individual, I was thinking, okay, I have to turn off my brain in order to believe in God. That's not the case at all. So, such a requirement can be likened to a person being forced to choose between the laws of internal combustion and Henry Ford as to why a car exists. Does that make sense? The fact that the two choices aren't contradictory but complementary. So the atheist misses the difference between the agency, Henry Ford, and the mechanism, internal combustion. In the same way, God is the intelligent agency and efficient cause behind everything with his natural laws and mechanisms carrying out um, his intentions to produce his desired result. So the atheist can't rely on science to disprove the existence of God and is forced into admission that atheism itself is not a fact but instead a belief system. It's a faith. Period. The real clash isn't between science and God, but between the atheistic and naturalistic and the theistic worldviews. So, okay, for example, has anyone been to the Grand Canyon? <laughs> Maddie, are you the only one? Oh, okay. I haven't yet. I really want to. I, I, I definitely want to. However, this is the idea. When you have an atheist and a Christian standing next to each other, the atheist is going to take a look at the Grand Canyon and be in awe of it. But boy, that's a great big hole in the ground, and the Colorado River over millions and millions of years had carved that. That's, that's just truly amazing. And the Christian is going to take a look at that and be like, wow. After the waters receded from the flood, I mean, this whole thing washed out into a, into a basin in probably a couple hours. We're taking a look at the same thing, but we're interpreting the results vastly different, right? I'll just throw this in there for those that are thinking that the Colorado River had carved the Grand Canyon. That's actually impossible because the way in which the river flows, right, from the, the mouth of the canyon to the delta of the canyon is actually uphill by a couple thousand feet in elevation gain. Last I checked, a river doesn't flow uphill. It's impossible for that river to have carved that canyon. 
leave it at that. So this being the case, the atheistic worldview has to address two fatal mistakes uh, regarding the concept of faith. That faith is only a religious concept. It's not. It is absolutely not. That faith means believing in something where there is no evidence. Neither of those is true. It's, it's not. So in terms of the first point, some honest atheists will admit that atheism is a worldview and a faith-based system, right? One example is the scientist George Klein. He wrote this, I am an atheist. My attitude is not based on science, but rather on faith. The absence of a creator, the non-existence of God is my childhood faith, my adult belief, and unshakably, my holy. But at least he's honest. Good, you know, good for him. As the faith being defined as a belief that lacks evidence, well, nothing could be further from the truth. Faith isn't a belief based on a lack of evidence. Science has faith in logic, math, natural laws, um, the intelligibility of the universe. These things will never change. These are natural laws of the universe. People also act on faith every day when they sit down to a restaurant and they eat a meal. You're eating a meal that's probably not poisonous, right? Medicine that you take from doctors. So we have the commonality of faith. Both atheism and theism make statements on faith that concern an ultimate reality. They refer back to something that's eternal because each recognizes that everything that exists depends upon and owes its existence ultimately to something other than itself. It's the idea of, you know, you have a painting on the wall. The painting did not paint itself. That's not possible. So to the atheist, the ultimate reality is an eternal universe, a universe that has always existed. But science has absolutely disproven that. We have things such as redshift, and we see that the universe is expanding. If it's expanding, it had an origin. It can't be eternal. If the universe is eternal, why do we have the first and second law of thermodynamics? Why is stuff winding down? Somebody had to, A, buy the gas for this machine and start it. There's no other way around it. See, the theist, we have no problem because we hold that a personal, conscious, and purposeful, intelligent, moral, and eternal God created all of this. He created us in the likeness of his image and established the universe and its laws to govern its existence. So, far from atheism, which one of its chief spokesmen, John Paul Sartre, described as, quote, a long, hard, cruel business, the Bible says that God created a meaningful and rewarding existence where the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Psalm 19, 1 through 3. Was that a cold quote from Sartre? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he became a theist for Yep, he sure did. In the end, Dr. John Lennox makes the choices between atheism and theism clear. He said this, there are not many options, especially just two. Either human intelligence ultimately owes its origin to mindless matter, or there is a creator. It's strange that some people claim that it is their intelligence that leads them to prefer the first to the second. <laughs> so uh, I'll, go, I'll uh, skip transcendence because that's going to be a little bit much. Okay, so if the... Christian God exists, and if he were to enter into our material world, then any manifestation of him would have to be within the following criteria, right? Self-revelation. So the Christian, uh, 
The Christian God, the God of the Bible, could only be known through a decision on His part to reveal Himself to us since He exists outside of our material world. Does that make sense? Also, His self-revelation would not be subject to the demands of His creation to show Himself. We don't have that type of authority, since it would be self-revelation, not external coercion, right? Authoritative. Such self-revelation would necessarily be authoritative in that what the God of the Bible would reveal about himself would be true, right, good, absolute, etc., and would be based on his uh, what's called transcendent nature, meaning that he is apart from the world in which he created, not, not uh, subject to its laws like we are. And his revelation would be miraculous. Any self-revelation uh, of the God of the Bible would be miraculous by definition, and it couldn't be explained merely by any type of materialistic hypothesis. So the atheist has some problems. How would he test God's self-revelation? How would he test God's authority in a lab? Both of these lie outside the realm of the scientific method, and miracles, on the other hand, would be a bit different and might be subject to verification. However, they couldn't be repeated because such repetition would not suggest that God is outside of his world, but that he would be uh, defined by our will and by our coercion, and that doesn't work. Instead, they would suggest phenomena based on the material realm and its properties, since it would be repeatable and predictable. So, if the atheist truly wants to find out if God exists, he's got to change his worldview. And it's got to include at least the possibility of God's self-revelation, his authority, and his miracles. Otherwise, it's impossible to find out if God exists, and he would be left judging reality from within his myopic worldview that necessarily excludes God. So let me rephrase that. If you're having a conversation with an atheistic loved one or a friend and they're just absolutely closed off that even the possibility of God exists, that they're like, there's no possibility that God exists. Where do we go from there in that conversation? What does the Bible tell us to go from there in that conversation? Do we have the authority to argue that person into the kingdom of heaven? No. Do we have the ability to? No, we don't. At that point, what do, we, what do we do? Exactly what Christ commanded us to do. You preach the gospel and shut up. That's it. This statement is going to sound weird, the next one coming from me, but when I'm saying that's all that we can do, but literally that's the most powerful thing that we can do because we are putting that person's salvation into the hands of him who created that person. And it's the ultimately of God regenerating that person's heart because I have seen it personally, and I'll use an anecdotal evidence where you know, this great apologetic um, degree in education. I'm, I'm talking to somebody and absolutely tranched all of their arguments, just smashed them, and the person still didn't come to belief. Why? Were my arguments invalid? No. Did, did I present something horrifically wrong? No. I mean, by all um, accounts, that person should have just come to faith at that point, completely conceded. If they were a rational thinking person, be like, okay, I give my life to Christ at this point, but they didn't. See, that's where I believe it's very freeing for us when we preach the gospel to those types of people. Because if you want to hold to the, to the belief that you are the one responsible for their salvation, that's putting way too much pressure on you than you really deserve. There's no reason to have that type of pressure on you. Yes, God commands us to give a reason and have articulable answers for what we believe. Please don't be like the dumb bunnies when I was an atheist and I would ask the questions and they'd say, oh, you have to have faith or just pray about it. They had no answers for why they believed what they believed. And guess what? 
When those people go to a, a higher learning environment, such as university, their faith is going to be destroyed because they don't have a foundational understanding. But the idea is you don't have that weight on your shoulders. That person's salvation isn't dependent upon you. Praise God for that. Absolutely. So where is um, transcendent evidence for God? Is there any evidence in existence? The Christian worldview claims there is via God who's self-revelatory, authoritative, and miraculous. And in the Bible, we find self-revelation of God who also claims to be authoritative. The Bible just assumes the authority of God. It doesn't once uh, try to prove the authority of God. And nowhere in Scripture, let me repeat that, nowhere, not one place in Scripture, does God defend His authority. It is just merely an assumptive. The Bible also contains records of the miraculous, whether it's parting... Jesus doesn't... what? God, at no point in Scripture, defends His authority as the (laughs) revelationary God, as the Creator God. He doesn't have to give it authority. No. Right, okay. No. That is the the definition of God. Yep. Okay. So like I said, the Bible also contains miraculous records, like the parting of the Red Sea, or of course the resurrection of Christ. So the exact evidence we need in support of the transcendental God is found actually in the scriptures. So if I'm correct in your guys' thinking, you're probably asking... Well, don't other religions claim the exact same thing other than Christianity? Well, we'd have to look at their truth claims and apply the same test to them as we would to Christianity. Namely what? Well, internal consistency between their own writings, uh, miraculous, etc. So that's outside of today's class. Um, we'll probably start into that. I know we did our series on cults, but we'll start doing other world religions um, like Hindu, Muslim, things like that. Take a look at their truth claims. However, the atheist cannot accept this evidence uh, for the proof of God's existence. So he has to discount the Bible, right? As just a book uh, written by men of, you know, fables and stories thousands of years ago that's irrelevant because it doesn't fit with his materialistic worldview. So the Bible itself claims it being authored by a transcendent God, and it can't be permitted any form of acceptance in the atheistic worldview. So the atheist claims that, quote, the Bible says God exists, therefore God exists is faulty logic, and it's circular reasoning, right? But that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true. That's not what I'm saying. And the atheist would be right in calling me out on that if that's the argument that I made. It's not circular reasoning when we first examine what evidence might be in it, self-revelation, authoritative, miraculous, and then propose something that meets that criteria, So if the atheist were to reject the Bible and its claim of authorship from a transcendent source, then he would be committing a category mistake. What do I mean by that? Well, he's judging the immaterial uh, category of the scriptures by the material and non-transcendent category of what he's he's taking a look at. If he's going to reject the Bible based on his materialism, meaning that there's nothing else, just this skin suit, that's the only thing that exists, there's no spiritual realm at all, His problem is that he can't validate that claim, that materialism is being true without begging the question. So materialistic verifications are based on what? Materialistic assumptions. So he's committing the same logical fallacy of circular reasoning as he's, um, uh, what, um, accusing, thank you, uh, the Christian of doing. So if the Bible, or the atheist is going to attack the Bible, 
based on alleged moral absurdities contained within it, like I used to as an atheist, so then by what objective moral standard does he possess to judge the Bible? If you're claiming that the Bible contones certain moral atrocities, like slavery, I used that argument when I was an atheist, how are you able to say that slavery is wrong? There's nowhere in the materialistic world outside of a moral lawgiver that says slavery is wrong. You can't make that argument. If he appeals to common sense, who cares? You're appealing to subjectivity. That doesn't matter at that point. If he appeals to societal norms, then he's appealing to, quote, truth by the majority. Again, who cares? In short, he doesn't have any objective moral standard which he can assert that the morals in the Bible are wrong. He only has his subjective opinion. I've quoted Lewis before, I'll quote it again. Lewis says, to hell with your feelings. It doesn't matter at that point. If the atheist were to say that the Bible is illogical and has contradictions, then he would have to prove that it's illogical using transcendental laws of logic, the very laws that don't fit in his worldview. He'd have to examine any proposed contradictions as they would be proposed. So here's the idea. If you're, you're going to say that the Bible is illogical, then the atheist is slitting his own philosophical throat because the, the whole premise of the, the only thing that exists is material, no, uh, no spiritual, commits the logical fallacy of what's called begging the question. Materialism, as well as atheism, can't be proven to be true because you're attempting to prove the non-existence of any type of spiritual realm. It's just assumed. So how is an atheist to prove that there's no God? How does he prove that materialism is right and it's the only philosophical position to examine the world without assuming it to be valid in and of itself? He's just assuming it to be true. He's not proving it to be true. So the statement, quote, I lack belief in a God is a common position of atheists. So you guys heard me talk about this last week. It's the same statement as me to say, um, I lack belief in invisible pink unicorns. In other words, they have no position, no intellectual action, and have no belief or unbelief on the matter concerning God. It's a non-issue. So let's bring this down to home. Let's pick a baby. Um, this is one time I wish Faye was in here in class. <laughs> And then let's say Faye, she has no awareness of the concept of invisible peak uniforms. How old is Faye? She's almost a year, isn't she? Pink unicorns. Uniforms. Oh, yeah, unicorns. <laughs> so later in life... She's when, one. She's one. She's okay. So, so later in life, when Faye matures and she's introduced to this concept, um, she either accepts the existence of invisible peak unicorns or she rejects it as a ridiculous notion and she's going to laugh about it and dismiss it and becomes unsure about them and holds off judgment until later. Either way, she's going to develop a position of invisible pink unicorns, one or the other. And it has to do with something with the concept once she's been exposed to it. It doesn't continue as a lack of belief or a lack of awareness state of mind because the fact is some sort of intellectual action must occur in Faye's mind regarding invisible pink unicorns. She can't be unaffected by that concept. She has to make a choice, right? So some might say that to hold off judgment till later is to be atheistic concerning pink unicorns and support the atheistic position of a lack of belief. So follow me, because this is a, a major tenet of atheism. As I said earlier, after being exposed to a concept, a decision is made about the concept, even if it's to withhold judgment. You're still making a decision, right? You can't not make a decision on it. The idea that, oh, I'll deal with that later is a decision, it's a conscious act. 
a position is taken. This is not the same as going back to a state of unawareness. So if I said that there was an ice cream factory on Jupiter, what would you guys think? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so would you entertain the idea as a serious possibility that there's an ice cream factory on Jupiter? Right. Would you quickly dismiss it as an outlandish absurdity? Or would you request evidence for it? Or did you finally have a desire to go to Jupiter for some Jupiterian swirl? <laughs> so, of course, an ice cream factory on Jupiter is ridiculous. And we automatically know this, so we naturally make a judgment on it. So we can't remain in a state of lack of belief concerning the ice cream factory on Jupiter once we've been introduced to it. We assign it to that as just an absolutely uh, ridiculous category. So then, this is why the lack of belief defense that I've heard from some atheists isn't logical. To say that there's a lack of belief in God proves that there is no God. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. It ignores the reality that people categorize concepts within the range of total acceptance to total rejection. And it's our nature to do this. We don't ignore information. We accept it, reject it, or postpone it. We only do one of those three things. So with that in mind, is my cat an atheist? Which one? <laughs> We're talking about Binks, the black one. So, <laughs> so animals lack a belief in God. Are they atheistic? Should we include atheists, infants, plants, rocks, water, and air in the category of atheism since they lack a belief in God? Of course not. So let's talk about Binks. He's a jet black cat with green eyes, and he is the most conversational cat I've ever seen. He will yell at us whenever Devin and I go away and we come back home. I mean, he just talks and talks and talks. I, th I think he's snitching on his sisters. I think they, were, they abused him or something when, when we get home. And he just loves to read us the riot act whenever we come back. He's going to tell us about his day and how, up, how we seemingly upset him, everything. So I would completely defend the fact that he certainly has quite a personality. Never met a cat like him, right? As brilliant as Binks may be, or psychotic, whichever you choose, he lacks belief in God. I could sit him down, look him in the eye, and say, Binks, there's something I have to talk to you about. It's God. You see, God's the being that created the universe and everything in it, including you and me. And of course, after I say this, Binks is probably going to respond with his usual, Meow. <laughs> and he's going to go, you know, chase a moth at the window or whatever. He has no concept whatsoever of God. So does that mean that my cat Binks is an atheist because he doesn't have a concept of God? No. It means what? He's a cat. <laughs> so, but by using that absurd um, analogy, you guys tend to understand the argument that the atheist makes. That because that there's not an acknowledgement or belief in God, that itself makes it true. See, the atheist is going to assert that the position, the lack of belief, relates only to sentient beings. This would be a necessary position, given that cats cannot be atheistic, and they can't make a choice to accept or deny God's existence. So the atheist should amend their statement and say something like, quote, as a person, I lack belief, or, quote, I have decided to lack belief in God, or lacking belief in God is a position for sentient beings only. This would negate my cat as being included since to describe an atheist position as simply lacking belief is too broad. Does that make sense? Don't you think most people just don't give it much thought? And that's I mean, a tragedy. Right. 
I don't think atheists, at least I've talked to, are that profound and philosophical in their thinking. No, probably not the average everyday one, but as soon as you get I mean, to... I you were, but the, you're not the typical atheist <laughs> that I've come across. I guess, well, I guess not. I mean, you're going to find more of the folks like me at, in the university um, places or, or any type of higher learning place. Um, but... I would like to believe that if someone is choosing such a, a hugely immense and impactful position on their life, that they're at least going to give it some amount of thought. I mean, it is extremely impactful because everyone is going to die. That is without question, unless we're all raptured, right? But with death comes a consequence. It absolutely does. And you have to face that, and that's why I would have, even with the atheist that doesn't care and hasn't thought about it, I'd be like, I would tell him and remind him, you will die. You are going to have to face death. And either one or two things happens, nothing or something, right? If nothing happens and you were correct all this entire time, then great, good on you. But if the something happens and you have to at least admit that there is a possibility of the something happening, you might want to consider that and examine the evidence because that is a grave, no pun intended, but that has an absolutely grave consequence to that. C.S. Lewis wrote the screw tape letter that obviously the fictional letters between mm -hmm. the two demons, um, but that the demons saw wartime as their greatest enemy yeah. because so many people are faced with death. Yep. And death makes people think about the transcendent. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. See, lack of belief is really an attempt by atheists to avoid facing and defending the problems with their position. But, but Sean, yeah. Can I go back to what your wife had to say? I don't care whether it's an atheist or whether it's in a church setting. Um, most people don't know what they believe and why they believe. Right. It. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know how many churches I've gone to. You're I right, Rick. Yes. Maybe twenty percent of the people that attend a church understand what the doctrinal position of a church is. Right. Mm -hmm. And for those that do understand it. I would almost guarantee you that most of them have a conflict with at least one of the doctrines of whatever church they're attending. <laughs> right. Sure. And the sad piece is, I don't disagree with anything that you've said. I agree all people should examine that. But the fact of the matter is, at least my experience is, most people don't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether it's atheism or whether it's Christianity or any other faith. They go along with it because either from a family perspective they've been taught that they've been raised that and so it's easy and comfortable and or they haven't made the faith their own mm -hmm. and that's a challenge because the real problem i have a daughter who would spout off many of the things that an atheist would spout but when you challenge her she can't tell you one little bit right about why she spouts that out other than she went to a university where somebody made some statement but she's just as ignorant about that statement as she would claim that I am about my faith. Right. Because she heard somebody say it, she's adopted it, and she's just going with it. It is a blind faith, mm -hmm. quite frankly, much more than most believers' faith. I believe so as well. And then so the difficult part is, you know, how do we have those conversations when somebody doesn't have any, because um, obviously I, I get it, and I'm making a presupposition on here to have an effective conversation with these folks, I have to be having a conversation that with somebody that has thought through this and has a definitive belief in what they're spouting off, right? It is, it is so much easier to let somebody else think for you. And, and I'm with you, Rick, and yeah, Margaret. Along with what Rick is saying, 
just saying, aren't we just as guilty that we're not having those conversations with people here in the church? We 100% are. We absolutely are. Make sure that, that we, they understand. Even in my Bible study, I don't know what my ladies in my Bible study understand. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're having good sound teaching. It's mm -hmm. going on. The good sound teaching is coming from Skip Heights again. Mm -hmm. This teaching is going on. I, I love it. I I understand it. I believe I understand it. Um, but what are they understanding? I, I don't know that for sure. And and I know what you're saying. I am hope in this classroom that we are understanding what God's word says and and are we growing and are we able to stand and speak the truth of the gospel right. to another person and and say without a doubt that Jesus Christ is Lord and I can tell you who he is why I believe it but you're right it's it's a concerning thing church it it is um and so how are we to combat that i don't have a perfect answer for that um the only answer i have is what we're doing right now to build those foundations for believers and like i've told you you guys that have heard my story you know i learned and was chastised by god that apologetics isn't for me to win an argument um, apologetics for us here in this room that are already saved individuals. What does it do? What's the point of it? It just strengthens our faith. It just shows us. Well, that's weird. <laughs> it's got to be a compressor because the bathroom's right next door. So um, it, it just shows us why what we believe to be true, right? Well, and I think a huge piece of this, and it gets so frustrating until you realize that God reveals himself to whom he wills. And if we Correct. understand that, that a heart cannot receive grace until it's been regenerated to receive grace. Right. You cannot. You can't. That's like, I can I can show all the evidence to our son that we That's have. That's right. And we have. Until the scales are removed by God for him to receive that, sometimes we're just talking to a wall, literally. Yeah. With eyes, and so that takes a huge amount of pressure off. Yeah, all these understanding the atheists and everything, but we could we could prove we could have factual evidence written in front of us with photos, but until the Lord removes the scales, it's in vain. That's correct. But at the same time, I agree with that statement. Before, but at the same time, going back to our responsibility to know the truth and to to give a defense for the hope that lies within us, that's where apologetics does come in. Mm -hmm. Because how often have you seen a floundering Christian trying to portray their position and not knowing how to say or what to say or when to say something? Um, we are called to be like the Bereans and to study the Word and to handle it correctly. Because without that, you know, God uses individuals to teach other individuals and to reach an mm -hmm. individual. God has chosen us to do the work of That's spreading right. His news. An excellent resource is uh, written by uh, Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Yeah. 
and he goes through and he does a lot of just simple proofs like good can could can exist without evil, but evil cannot exist without good. Correct. You know, say, and would you say the name I want to write it down? I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Yeah. And you know, you, there can be, there has to be absolute truth. You know. There, yeah, there, there has to be, and and it's a travesty, right? Because I think we as a church, as parents, grandparents, we just got too complacent uh, or lazy, if you want to use what we're really talking about, um, to do those hard lessons with our young people. You know, why? Why do we pray and thank God for our meals? What's the purpose of that? Well, you know, grandson, let me tell you. And it has to be a foundational truth that God exists, right? And we end up proving that in the minds of our young believers. Yeah, we blew it. We, we absolutely did. And I think we're reaping the uh, rewards of blowing it right now. No, it's, yeah, consequence. I mean, the good news is, though, it's not all bad news. Because, you know, we have these ministries like Stand to Raisin with Greg Kugel and uh, um, Institute of Creation Research with the now past Dr. Henry Morris and, and all of these great apologetic resource ministries. So atheism is coming under more serious attack um, by Christians and even non-Christians, people who just realize that there's problems and they're exposing them. So there's far more people in this world who have some type of theistic belief than not. That's a good part. Why? Because if I can talk with somebody with a presuppositional belief that there is indeed a higher power existence, I'm like three quarters of the way there to having a fruitful conversation with this person. So more and more Christians are tackling atheism as an absolutely untenable position. So if the majority believe, does that make it right? No, it's not what I'm saying. But the increase in examination of atheism has made it more difficult for atheists to actually defend their position. And it also explains why atheists are becoming more aggressive um, today. Uh, their attacks on theism are in different forms than this is my old fogey speech back in my day, right? The, the attacks are more severe is what I'm seeing than, than when I was dealing with it on a firsthand basis. And there is an intellectual battle being waged. And it's a spiritual battle. Don't forget about that. It absolutely is. Um, so we have to remember both defensive and offensive measure, uh, measures are being taken on both sides. So in the end, the truth is going to be known and atheism will become extinct. Mm -hmm. We know that. Every knee will bow, right? At one point, atheism, yes, it, it will become extinct. Yeah, Tim. Two verses. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Um, it says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, yeah. so that each one of you may receive what is due for what he's done in his body, whether good or evil. And then in Hebrews, it says... Um, uh, 27, Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is, as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that, the judgment. Yeah. You know, so Christ, that's why he came. Yeah, I know. And, I mean, yeah, these, these conversations, <laughs> these conversations are not easy. Um, and, Rick, you have a daughter, we have a son. Exact same thing. You know, that... Is your daughter combative, or is she even? Oh, very much so. Okay, good. Not not good, but good as in <laughs> as in as in we have that commonality where it's it, it's uh, absolutely offensive with what we're saying to them, and you know they'll go years without talking to us. Uh, all of that in in their response of us merely preaching the gospel. But 
the point of learning all this stuff is, okay, I'm even gonna admit on tape, I'm saved. I 100% know that I am a child of God. However, in the early days of my faith, after being regenerated, when I would have these conversations, I had that shaky knees in the back of my mind. Is it true? Am I actually making true statements with what I'm telling this person? I believe it to be true, but is it? So one thing to believe it and one thing to know it are, are very different things. And that's the purpose of this right now, these studies, is to hopefully get rid of the wobbly knees, the intellectual, you know, weak knees, I guess you can call it, and know that when you're having these conversations, you don't have that in the back of your mind. Oh man, what if I'm wrong? You're not. <laughs> I reassure you of that. And we have proof as far as why we're not uh, on that. Actual intellectual proof. And that was huge for me because that's just the way I'm wired. In order to get to here, for those listening online, I'm pointing to my heart. You have to go through this noggin, this 18-pound noggin of mine. <laughs> right? There's, there's no other way. And I think there's a lot of people like-ish me that you have to be convinced uh, in order to have that heartfelt reaction as well. And that's why we do this. So when you do have those conversations, you're not gonna have that, that stabbing in the back of your mind that, is this true? You may or may not remember all these defenses and arguments when these conversations come up with loved ones or, or neighbors or friends or uh, strangers in Safeway, whatever, but at least you're gonna have that unwavering, um, faith that what you're saying is absolutely true. You're not hoping it's true, but you know it's true. And I think that produces a much different witness on the street when you know something is true, right? Any other questions? Well, we're done with our um, atheist or our survey of atheists. Is there any requests on where we want to go next? Things we want to study? I was just looking through past lessons. We've We've done a lot, actually. Um, a lot of information out there. I know we haven't done uh, world religions. We did cults. Um, is anyone interested in that, uh, world religions? I mean, do you guys come across many Muslims or uh, Hindus or not really, but Mary does? Yeah, working at the state, I imagine you do. Well, even going through college and all that stuff. It's true. Especially in the finance industry, actually. Yeah. A lot of yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right about that. There are more and more. I think we have to have our eyes open. There yep. Are more in the stores and working in in that. What's it called? Retail. Retail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're here. I'm honest. Um, we just have to notice their their scarves. <laughs> right. Good job. Um, yep. Yeah. And. Involved with my son, and he puts me in touch with people to to talk to about their diabetes or whatever it would be. So oh, yeah. There are um, people definitely. I think that we have to be praying for them. I just got you know, a message that about things going on over in Saudi Arabia. Oh <laughs> yes. They believe that Israel is going to be destroyed by the sun. Oh, we know that. Huh. Yeah, it's it's from Amir. Oh 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 yeah. Oh, that's interesting. He says, although I know the end of the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, not going to be Israel. <laughs> yeah, no. 
Okay, yeah, I mean, we can briefly go over different uh, world religions. And, and like I said, my goal isn't just to give you the sound bites to win an argument when um, talking with those people, but to help you understand our faith. That, that is my ultimate goal with this class, to understand why what we believe is true, um, if, albeit through compare and contrasting or, or whatnot, but to definitely strengthen your guys' faith. Um, I've said so many times before when I've, I've given talks, I have um, a couple goals with, and I don't hide behind them. Um, the first one is to convince you that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of the living God from cover to cover. Um, the other thing that I'm, I'm after in these classes is to encourage you and uh, make you do something for the Lord, whatever that is. And if you're not, I hope to make you feel very uncomfortable. I'm not going to hide behind it. All of us should be doing something. Golly, there's anything you can do for the Lord. Seriously, anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Something. Um, well, let's close in prayer. And yeah, we'll start talking about... Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Well, we'll uh, pray for that in our closing prayer. Father, thank you again for just allowing us to gather, Lord. Uh, we so appreciate these freedoms um, that you've given us. We, we just absolutely love the grace that you've provided us. God, we're, we're only sitting here as believers because of your grace, Lord. Um, we pray now for Gerlinda's brother uh, that is not a believer. God, that you would uh, keep working on his heart. Um, maybe use this medical emergency that has happened with him as some type of catalyst for him to be uh, open to your regenerative grace. God, please, as always, I ask that you would strengthen our faith. Let us go out with boldness and proclaim your truth, um, but also do it not out of arrogance, but out of love and, and showing you through us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.